This episode is brought to you by Earth Class Mail. Is your business buried under piles of mail, checks, and invoices? At Earth Class Mail, they reduce that clutter and streamline your tasks by converting these papers into digital documents and integrating with the platforms you already use. Their online tools help you identify checks and deposit them quickly and automatically, allowing you to focus on what matters most, running your business. The promotion code you'll want to use is NLP, and the URL that you want to go to is earthclassmail.com slash pricing. Again, that's earthclassmail.com slash pricing. Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, Making Your World Better. My guess is this. As a listener there, you have a friend or a close relative, somebody that is close to you that is either dealing with or has dealt with cancer. And today's guest is bringing a fresh approach to how to deal with cancer herself as well as helping other people who are facing a cancer diagnosis. Her name is Jenna Ben Schirscher. She's the founder and executive director of Twist Out Cancer. It's a nonprofit organization she founded after surviving gray zone lymphoma in 2011. Jenna saw firsthand how young adults with cancer have a unique set of needs that she found were not being addressed or talked about. And so she found one way to fulfill those needs or to address those needs was using creative arts. She was a dancer, and so she started using the art of dance uh, to bring about healing and coping for those who are facing their own cancer diagnosis. And that's how Twist Out Cancer was started. Uh, It was founded on the principle that when you share the world opens up. And I'm going to have her tell the story a little bit more, but the fun thing about this was for her, she posted this video kind of on a whim of her dancing. All she could do at the time was do the twist, even though she was a a very good dancer at one time, but because of her cancer and all the different um, things she was going through, that's all she could do was just do a little bit of the twist. So she posts this video, right? And her friends start responding to her And then people she didn't even know all over the world saw the video and it kind of went viral, basically. And she knew that she had touched a nerve for people that were dealing with cancer. This is a very compelling organization and a very compelling story. I think you're going to really enjoy today's show. So we have on the show Jenna Ben Schurscher. She's the founder and executive director of Twist Out Cancer. She's calling in from Philadelphia. Jenna, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You know, I, um, I'm really, as I mentioned to you before, this is really one of those um, organizations that really touches people deeply. And it's a very powerful thing that you're doing. I've seen your videos and just watching them and being a brand new person to your organization, I thought, wow, you really are touching people in a deep way uh, that are dealing and struggling with cancer. And so why don't you just jump into the origin of Twist Out Cancer? I know it has to do with your own personal story a bit. Maybe you can talk about that. Um, I think my listeners would really enjoy hearing your story. Sure. So 
At the age of 29, I was diagnosed with a rare type of cancer called gray zone lymphoma, which at the time there were about 200 cases worldwide. And there was a Wikipedia page that essentially said, um, this blood cancer has features of Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. There was no standard treatment protocol. There weren't many others that could say you're going to be okay. It was a pretty uh, daunting experience as a young adult who was in the prime of my life trying to sort of sort out next steps um, and goals and dreams that I had um, living in Chicago. And when I received this diagnosis, of cancer and then a rare cancer, it was it was hard to take. And I found that even with family and friends around and even with extraordinary care, which I received from Northwestern Hospital in Chicago, I still felt incredibly isolated. And I was really determined to try and figure out a way to build community and to build the community that I needed at the time while I was going through treatment and be able to provide that for others. So the concept, Twist Out Cancer, the name, really comes from something that happened very organically during my journey. I was blogging um, pretty early on as a way to just relay information that was really hard to communicate to family and friends. And I just started blogging. I didn't know anything about how to do that at the time, but learned kind of on the fly. And I opened up what was a private blog into a public blog because I had inadvertently left out a number of people that wanted to know what was going on with me. And as I started blogging, I started watching the statistics go up, and I couldn't understand why anyone was really reading, you know, in places, in countries that I had no connection to. Like, I started to see that I had subscribers in India and Afghanistan and in really, like, all parts of the world. All of a sudden, I had people that were tuning in and reading and reaching out. And so it was really um, – uh, in my third round of treatment, I decided to put out a challenge asking for people to join me on the dance floor and do the twist. Um, as a former dancer and someone that loves to move, um, the twist was really the only dance move that at the time I could actually physically do. I was pretty immunosuppressed and had been on some really heavy-duty drugs and, and chemotherapy. Um, and so, you know, I just really, it was a desperate call to action. It was something that I felt would lift my spirits. And so I put out this video on YouTube, um, and it was really simple. It was just me dancing, and I said, who's joining me on the dance floor? And within a couple of days, we had a couple thousand people that were twisting out cancer. And so... This is crazy. Okay, I got to stop you here. This yeah. is fun. So you you basically put this video together and kind of um, spontaneously, organically, people start responding and then posting their own videos of them dancing, sending it back to you. Talk about that. Yeah, so... I I don't know really what I was expecting. I mean, I think I just wanted to see people. I was stuck in my apartment. I was really getting antsy. I just wanted to be able to connect with people or at least see their faces so instead of numbers on the back end of a blog. And so what ended up happening is that, you know, within a couple of days, we had people that were bringing me into weddings and bar mitzvahs and office parties and hospitals and other places and it wasn't even just family and friends. I, mean, I certainly got inundated with those videos, which really made me laugh and, and really felt, um, I just felt really supported. But what I was really taken aback with was the strangers that started reaching out and posting. And, and I started to, to wonder what was it about what I was sharing that was resonating with people? Why did people feel compelled 
to act and to move. And what it did for me was so profound. It really lifted my spirits. It made me feel like I was connected to this larger global community of cheerleaders that were essentially rooting me on. And I really needed it. And I will say, you know, that cancer is a, it's, it can be a very private journey, even if you have a ton of support around you. And I really had everything in my favor, even given a grim diagnosis. I really had this tremendous system of support. But even in those moments, I felt incredibly lonely. And so to be able to replay these videos when I was stuck in the hospital or when I was at home recovering, it, it really, even to this day, you know, I get these reminders on Facebook, like, you know, eight years ago, this is what happened. And I can see these videos and it still like so, sometimes brings tears of joy to my eyes. And it, I can't stop smiling because it just shows you the power of what happens when you put yourself out there and when you make yourself vulnerable and when you ask for help. And I think that we often think that people aren't willing to step up. And the fact that strangers were willing to do this for me and that family and friends were willing to do this, I think, says a lot about humanity and, and what we're able to do and create. Well, that's what really struck me as I saw your video and uh, videos and I w- looked at your website. You've really sought to pr- provide a creative approach for people that are dealing with cancer. I think you mentioned how you came across the fact that people that are dealing with cancer have a unique set of needs that were just not being addressed or talked about. And so you use the creative arts, uh, the power of community to help bring healing to those who are struggling. So talk about your approach a bit more and why is it so unique? Yeah, so... You know, like I said, I mean, none of this is really planned, right? I mean, no one plans to get cancer, (laughs) period. Um, But but in terms of, like, how I managed my illness and my journey, it was really done through writing and then also done through dance. Like, all of a sudden, I found that I would wake up with a blog post totally written in my head before I had even sat down to the computer. It was like this out-of-body birthing experience where I just had to write, and it wasn't that I was writing for others. I was really writing for me. It was a very, in some ways, selfish act, um, but in turn ended up allowing me to connect with so many people and help so many others in return. So it's a sort of beautiful byproduct of such a dark situation. And at the same time, in terms of dance, like I grew up dancing my whole life. I you know, did it even through college and was in theater and musical theater and, and did a lot of choreography. And after college, you know, when I became like professional and I was working, dance was something that maybe I would do in a Zumba class like, you know, every other week or something. It was not a priority for me. And I started to just reconnect with parts of myself that had been quieted, that had been sort of stifled in the process of growing up and having to reprioritize things. And being able to reconnect with my body and to be able to dance and to sort of feel this sense of fearlessness it was really powerful for me. It really allowed me to kind of manage um, something that felt really out of control. At the very least, I was able to have some fun in the process and connect with others. And so when I was able to have a little bit of distance from my experience a couple months after I finished treatment, I was really determined to do something with my experience, and I knew that I wanted to support others, and I felt like, okay, the writing's on the wall. I've got this background in social work and community organizing. I've worked in the nonprofit space for so many years and here I've like created this community that I needed and that I think could really benefit others. So what do I do with this? 
And a lot of it was trial and error in the beginning. It was trying to figure out what's going to resonate, what do people really need, just because this is what I needed, is that going to translate with others? And when I started to really do some soul searching and really thinking retrospectively about what I had created, I started to realize that one of the things that really helped me, it was leveraging the arts and getting and being able to find my voice again through writing and through dance. And it was building community and it was sharing. And so all of those things I felt like were so critical. And that was the approach that we decided to take in terms of really forming a nonprofit and trying to provide um, community for others that are in need. That's so fascinating. And as I think about this and what I've learned is that since Twist Out Cancer was founded in 2011, you've had over 100,000 people worldwide that have been touched by your programs and events. And you even mentioned how 700 people attended the fifth annual Brushes with Cancer recently, sounds like. Um, so talk about, I know you have at least one story or two. In fact, I think you probably have hundreds probably now, uh, but people that have really changed because of your work. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I have a, I mean, I'm going to just tell you one that happened that I learned sort of some new layers to the story yesterday. So this is, it's good timing. So I, um, I was on a flight home. Well, I should say home to my former home, Chicago from Philadelphia. I was with my miracle daughter, Noah, who was, I think, about two at the time. And she was a really chatty two year old who was really excited to sit in her own seat and be able to read books and to kind of be her own person. And I put her in the middle seat. I'm not really sure why. I probably should have put her at the window. But serendipitously, we sat next to this amazing woman named Arlene, who, like me, was a transplant to to the Philadelphia area. She was originally from Chicago, and she was heading back to Chicago for a wedding. Her and I just, like, hit it off. But truthfully, it was my daughter that was the connector. She read to her throughout the flight, got a real kick out of her. And we just exchanged information at the end, and I told her, like, really, it wasn't even an elevator pitch. It was, like, a sentence about what I did, and it just kind of stuck with her. And she followed up with this really beautiful email over the weekend saying, I just looked through the website. I just looked you up online. I just need to know more. Can we set a date to meet in person? And so what was, like, a random interaction between us ended up developing into a real friendship. And she told me that she had worked previously running art therapy classes at the Gift of Life uh, building, which happens to be around the corner from where I live, which provides families and patients with a refuge while they're going through major transplants. So it could be a stem cell transplant. It could be a heart transplant. It's an amazing organization. And she used to do art therapy there. And she is like, a you know, on the side does art. Um, she's in finance during the day. And she was really taken with Brushes with Cancer. And on a whim, I said, listen, Arlene, do you want to apply for Brushes with Cancer in Tel Aviv? I know that's crazy. Um, and it wouldn't necessarily require having you come, but of course we would love for you to come if you want. And she got really into it. And I paired her with a woman named Rachel Hodas, who was living in Tel Aviv. When Rachel learned about our program, she was actually living in Paris at the time had been a caregiver for her father who had uh, uh, cancer uh, a number of years ago and didn't really know if there was room for her to tell her story because so many organizations out there are really focused on survivors or people that have heard those three words, you have cancer, and aren't really focused on caregivers. And I think that's one thing that really differentiates TWIST from a lot of other organizations is that 
we focus on anyone that's been touched by cancer. So that could be previvors that are genetically predisposed to cancer, survivors that have heard those three words who have cancer, whose lives are forever changed, and caregivers, people that have really been there to support people that are going through a diagnosis and treatment and, and the rest of that journey. And they're often left out. They're often not given a seat at the table. And so Rachel kind of entered this experience with trepidation. She was nervous about how she would be received and if her match would really want to be paired with someone like her because she felt almost unworthy. And their friendship became so deep that Arlene traveled from Cherry Hill, New Jersey to Tel Aviv. She toured Israel with Rachel for about 10 days and is now in the process of conversion to Judaism because she was so moved by her experience in Israel. So I would say that was a pretty good story. Um, they still are in regular contact. They talk to each other, I think, at least weekly um, by Skype, through WhatsApp, and they've really become lifelong friends. And I think part of the reason why it was so moving for both of them is that they came in sort of feeling like, I don't know if I deserve to be here, and I don't know if there's really a place for me, and if I'm good enough. Both Arlene had concerns about her art, and Rachel had concerns about her story. Was it, you know, worthy enough? And we were there to say, yes, of course it's worthy enough, and you guys need to connect. And it was this sort of unexpected or uh, intersection that we created. We saw aspects that we felt would really, aspects of each of their stories that we felt would make a good connection for the two of them. And our our instinct was right. And the fact that now they are connected and are supporting each other through this really amazing journey um, post-expressions with cancer, I think is really remarkable. Hey, everybody, Rob here. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. If you're listening for the first time and you're wondering, is there other good episodes out there? And I would say yes, absolutely. Go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org, and there's a whole list of guests and um, organizations that we've featured over the last couple of years. Um, We've had a great time bringing them to your attention and letting more people know about these great people and these good organizations that they're leading. I encourage you to check it out. The other thing I encourage you to do is check out our podcast on iTunes. In fact, when you go to iTunes, if you give us a rating, that would be wonderful. We know that when people get ratings on podcasts, that podcast gets out to more people. And we'd love to get this podcast out to as many people as possible. So we just encourage you, if you've really enjoyed these podcasts and it's really been something that you've learned from them, give us a rating. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. All right, now back to the show. I love hearing these stories because, you know, all of us, I believe, that are in nonprofit work do it because of the lives that are changed, because of what we do. And I know for you, that motivates you and it keeps you going and love hearing those stories. Now, one of the things I was super impressed with is the videos you use, the social media that you use is very effective. Um, Talk about that a little bit. That's something we've talked a lot about on the show, people that are really trying to improve the way they tell their stories through social media. What's your philosophy regarding social media and how do you help use that to help tell your story and the stories of so many people impacted through your organization? Yeah, so I mean, social media is an incredible opportunity to just spread your message. And I think, you know, when I was doing this, again, this was seven years ago, so I first uploaded my video on YouTube and then put it on Facebook. There wasn't Instagram. There weren't all these other platforms that you could really be sharing on. It was really Facebook was the go-to. 
So it helped simplify things for me in a way. Like I didn't have to learn all these other platforms in order to do it. Um, and it really, like, I think because it was just in two places, people didn't have to look far to find it. It was also at a time when, you know, the algorithm was such that you really could build followers on Facebook without paid advertising. This was, again, a while ago. So we were able to build this community really just through content, right? So it didn't all – I, all I wanted to do was to make sure that people knew about what we were doing. Now, you know, fast forward, you know, seven years from when I was diagnosed, it really takes strategy. And we – I know what I know, and I also know what I don't know. And I think what we've just tried to do is, you know, there's no – there's no better way of explaining the impact of what you do than by focusing on individuals that can tell that story for you. So part of what I was really determined to do when I started to form Twist in the beginning was I was really sick of my own story. I mean, even now, I tell my story a couple times a year. Um, it's not something that I do really frequently. I really would much rather highlight the stories of people that have been impacted by our work. And it's nice that we have this incredible um, resource of stories now, both online but also through through writing that we've compiled, um, and so we we utilize social media just as a as a mouthpiece for us, and we are constantly learning about which platforms you really need to be on. When do we need to run ads? When to, when do we need to be you know utilizing influencers to help uh, spread the word? So it's a combination of things, and I would say that. Our, we definitely have more of a strategy now when we're trying to get the word out about things, whereas when I was in the throes of treatment, I wasn't concerned about my social media following. I was just concerned about getting through the next round of treatment. And I think that in a way, um, it's a good reminder. Like sometimes we get so focused on metrics and on time of day and when are you supposed to be posting. But there's something to be said when you're just putting up a story that's really vulnerable and raw. Um, that those sometimes are like the best ways to communicate what what it is that you're doing and what it is that you need. And sometimes when we focus too much on being super polished and having things look super professional, those aren't always the things that, that get the most traction. Sometimes it's someone that's alone in their room that can just say, this program changed my life and here's why. I do think that's true, that the real, raw, honest uh, postings at times can really resonate with people, particularly with what you're dealing with and an organization that you lead. Um, talk about how you measure the impact of social media for you. Like, how have you found this to be a measurable impact when you post a video or you post something on Facebook and or Instagram? Um, how do you measure those results? Well, I mean, we've gotten ourselves very familiar with the insights. So we're able to look who's actually opening it, who's clicking on the links. Where are they located? Like who, how are people learning about us? And we've gotten good also at advertising. So when we're trying to promote, let's say, a pro program, like we have open applications, for example, for our Chicago program, well, we need to think about who are we actually targeting and who do we want to see the actual post? So there is some planning and there's also some financial allocation that has to happen too if we really want people to be viewing it. Um, word of mouth obviously is key. But we started Brushes of Cancer, that program, that was solely done on Facebook. We didn't spend any money on marketing materials as far as print or anything that we were sending out in the mail. Everything was done online. So I think, you know, 
like I said, making sure that at least one of these platforms you've become an expert in. And there's plenty of resources out there, whether it's through Facebook or through Instagram. You can even just Google how do you create community, how do you, you know, um, there's go-tos for advertising. And these things are also always changing. So just making sure that, you know, if you researched this a month ago, it may be out of date. So keeping up with it. So I'll often just, you know, do a, a quick search to find out sort of the latest tools and bells and whistles that Facebook is rolling out, you know, for nonprofits. Like they even, you know, in the last year allow people to raise money now on Facebook where you can raise money for your birthday. Well, that's an amazing way of getting the word out and not, there's not, it's not really cost prohibitive for nonprofits to get involved with that, whereas there's plenty of other platforms out there if you're wanting to do fundraising that it's going to cost, you know, there's going to be startup fees and things like that. So just, you know, staying up to date and trying to stay as relevant as possible is important. No, very helpful. And it was interesting you mentioned Instagram being right now because of the nature of Facebook and it has gone more towards advertising. You found that podcast or uh, Instagram, if you're trying to build a community, has been more effective for you. That's very interesting for my listeners to hear that too. Um, so very, very fascinating. Someone is listening to this podcast and they're facing their own cancer diagnosis. What would you recommend them to do and how could they get in touch with you if they wanted to? Well, so first of all, they can get in touch with me by just going to Jenna at twistoutcancer.org. That's my email. I'm readily available and happy to talk them through whatever it is that they need. I think that we often have a tendency to want to go to the Internet and start doing our own research and start compiling as much information as possible. And I think that the biggest piece of advice that I could say is that you're going to need to create a to-do list, and that to-do list cannot all happen in a day, and you need to be okay with that. Like, it, that list is going to be long, and you are facing a mountain and or facing a marathon, however, whatever imagery works for you. And it's not all going to get done right at once, and there's going to be different setbacks and periods where you're going to not know which way to turn. And I think making sure that you have a support system in place is the most critical piece of getting through any type of crisis. So that might mean reaching out to your parents, to your best friend, to to your partner, whoever it is, being able to confide in that person and let them know what's going on and not and do what you can not to turn completely inward. Because I think that's that's the common tendency is when we hear bad news or we hear hard news, the easiest thing for us to do is to is to retreat. And sometimes, and I, I would say really the best thing that we can do is to fight against that. And to it doesn't mean you have to be as public as I was um, with my cancer diagnosis, but what it does mean is that it may mean confiding in, in someone that you trust that's going to be able to be there for you just to listen. And then my other piece of advice is that once you've started to navigate the system and you have you know, next steps in place, whether it's treatment or, you know, you've got your care team in place. Once you've sort, you've started to develop a routine of what's going to happen, then looking out and seeking out a community of people that understand exactly where you are is also really key. So what I found during my experience was that all of my friends and families wanted to be there for me, but no one really understood what it was like to face their own mortality because my friends and family were healthy and hadn't gone through something as profound as that, where being able to connect with other 
young adults, in my case, that had gone through an experience like mine, didn't have to be the exact same experience, but something similar, I was able to really feel like I was able to let my guard down and that it wasn't such a bad thing to be able to go out to dinner and be able to, you know, talk about really heavy stuff. You start to feel like you're a bit of a downer when you're talking about life and death all the time. And so having a crew of people to be able to do that with where it doesn't make you feel weird um, is important. And so recognizing that you can have that community of family and friends from your pre-cancer life, but also building up your squad post-cancer, post-realizing, you know, that you are sick, I think is just as important. Well, thank you so much for that. And I think this is one of those that, uh, as I have my listeners go through this podcast, it's so good to have that resource. And one of the things I thought it would be nice for you to talk about is your um, annual event, Brushes with Cancer. Talk about what you do there. And I've seen videos, and you can, of course, if you're listening to this, you can Google that um, and uh, Twist Out Cancer and or Brushes with Cancer, and it'll connect you with uh, some really cool footage about what you do, uh, the power of community again, the power of using creative arts to bring about healing, connecting, sharing. Um, Talk about the event a little bit and what have you found to be most effective with that event? Yeah, so so what started as just like a solo event in Chicago almost six years ago has now grown into an international program that has happened six times in Chicago, twice in Toronto, next week in Montreal, last month in Tel Aviv, and next year in Philadelphia. So it's this program that really has taken on a life of its own and really embodies the values of Twist Out Cancer, which is share, connect, heal. So Brushes with Cancer is a four- to six-month program which essentially matches individuals touched by cancer with artists. The artists are charged with creating a unique work of art that's reflective of that person's journey with cancer, and our team of mentors oversees that relationship to ensure that each party feels supported, that they're connected to our community, and that they are prepared for the art exhibition and celebratory event that happens at, as a culmination event um, at the end of the program. So, for example, um, in Chicago last year, we had 750 people. We had 54 unique works of art. So we had like 108 people that were involved as participants, both inspirations and artists. And the exhibition is this incredible opportunity for people to see their story told through someone else's eyes. It allows them, uh, the, the best example that I can give is when we look at ourselves in the mirror, we see our own reflection staring back at us. But when someone else sees us, they see something completely different. And being able to step outside of that viewpoint and see it through someone else's eyes can be incredibly helpful and therapeutic. And so what we do is we have this big exhibition and all of the pieces are auctioned off intentionally so that we can raise money to be able to sustain the program and provide that matching experience and that programmatic experience for others in the future. So in a way, by going through a hard experience, you're then telling it to a stranger who is then using their skills and talents to provide support for that person, and that artwork then in turn supports another match, another connection made. Well, my guest again has been Jenna Ben Scherscher. She's the founder and executive director of Twist Out Cancer, a nonprofit organization she founded after surviving gray zone lymphoma in 2011. Jenna, thank you again for being on the show and sharing your story. It's very powerful. Uh, remind us again one more time how people can find out more about Twist Out Cancer and maybe connect either with you and or your organization on social media. Sure. It's twistoutcancer.org. And if you Google brushes with cancer, you'll 
find a number of different programs in different cities, and you can apply definitely to the upcoming Chicago program. Applications are due at the end of May. Well, this has been very wonderful. Thanks again for your time today. Thank you so much. I wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better.